Hello and welcome to the First Take Film Club podcast. My name is Luke Chandley and I'm joined by two men who need no introduction, Connor Norcott and Liam Jones. Connor, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I've had, you know, when we used to record in, in the flesh and we'd always talk about what we had for breakfast. I'm going to tell you what I had for breakfast. <laughs> I had three cups of coffee and two white chocolate magnums and that's all I've eaten in about... 18 hours, and I'm feeling pretty good. I think I can uh, top you on the grossness of my breakfast. Please do. I had uh, two leftover mayo chickens uh, and three leftover mozzarella sticks. That sounds nice nice to me. Heated up in the microwave. It was was all right, actually. It's kind of like, it's typical hangover food, isn't it? I'm sure. Just eating your leftover Mackey's. But I think there's this kind of this there's a there's a weird little beauty in that of eating the scram that you ordered when you're hammered the night before. Yeah. And I kind of can't wait for that, but also I've got all the work in the world going on at the minute. So maybe next week I'll be eating some leftover Mackies with you. That sounds great. So is that so I was about to say, Liam, how are you? But is that a small introduction to your morning or are you not hungover? How are you? I actually feel good. Uh Sometimes I jinx myself and my hangover kicks in later on in the in, in the day. Um, thoroughly enjoying uh, the pubs being reopened uh, this week, very much so. It's also been my birthday as well this week, so it's been it's been a heavy one to say the least. And I'm going to finish the week with another small little session tomorrow, and then that'll be it for me. For probably I'll probably have a few weeks off then. Probably try and I don't know ease off the booze for a while. That's um, uh, you just beat me to it because we've had two birthdays on the podcast since we last recorded, haven't we? It's been Connor and, oh, yeah. and yeah, Liam's birthday, so happy birthday. Well, I was gonna say from, from everyone, but it's mainly from me because I'm the only one who has the birthday. <laughs> so happy birthday. Um, and that might lead so we do a, we do an opening question, don't we? Um, and that might kind of lean into it slightly. So I just thought, really, as opposed to like try and maybe ask like what your favorite time travel film is. Um, because of the film that we're doing this week, which I haven't mentioned, that is uh, Palm Springs, uh, the Amazon Prime uh, Hulu movie that came out last week. Um, but instead of finding a film that was like loosely related to time travel, I thought what I'd do is just, I'd actually just ask you how your weeks have been in terms of, because obviously the pubs have reopened, it's a little bit sunnier, life's slightly more back, not to normal, but a bit more. Um, so just kind of tell me how your week's been, Liam. Um, you, I think you went over that a little bit, but like, let's give some more detail. Yeah, my week's been good. Um, yeah, started off on Monday. The first day that the pubs reopened, I was in there at three o'clock <laughs> in the beer garden uh, back at my hometown. And um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, to be honest, I've uh, watched a few films this week as well. I think... I didn't mention on the podcast last week, but I'd watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Um, I rented it, you know, the home cinema uh, shenanigan. And um, yeah, it's not good. But then I also watched The Father, which uh, is good and made me cry just a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's been a good week and I've watched some good films as well. I've literally just finished watching a Bad Trip on Netflix. It's like a... Uh, it's a comedy and it's also like a, what would you call it? Like a prank type thing, like a Borat-esque type film where they're yeah. kind of, the there are actors in the film that are trying to tell their own story, but at the same time, 
there's the shooting scenes with uh, real people who don't know what's going on and it, it makes for some uh, very funny funny movie stuff so i actually really enjoyed that film just now but yeah yeah i've, I've had a good week i've had a good week how about you luke yeah uh, what have i done this week um worked really um i haven't actually been to a pub yet i keep i keep forgetting that like obviously pubs are gonna be busy so I think on the day of the day I want to go to the pub, oh, we could go to the pub today. And then I think, oh, well, I can't, can I? Because it's all going to be booked up. So uh, I've like sent a few messages to on Facebook to pubs who are probably asking for reservations, who probably looked at them, laughed for 25 minutes and then got back to me saying, no, we've obviously <laughs> not got no reservations. So I'm um, hoping tomorrow that changes. I'm going to try and hunt somewhere down to queue up for and go for a pint. Um, but yeah, my week has just largely been working, to be honest with you. Uh, Connor, do you want to... Give us a bit what you've been up to. Same as last week, Luke, me and you are very similar in that <laughs> all I've done is work or thought about work or procrastinated and ran away from doing said work. I've got, a, this is a big week. You know, I was saying just before we started recording and before you joined the call, Liam, that, you know, when you have those weeks where everything is happening, I'm in that right now. So I, I unfortunately still work in a pub. And this was our back to work. So I have my first shift on Wednesday night and my legs are still struggling. Like I live a pretty sedentary life. We just guys kind of sit down on my laptop quite a lot, play video games, watch movies, don't really do much, drink a lot of Guinness. That's it. And getting back and getting those legs moving. Oh my <laughs> God. I've struggled so much the next day. And as well as that, I, I, I've not really watched a lot of movies apart from Palm Springs for today. I rewatched Sound of Metal, which also came out this week. And that's a really special film. It didn't do it for me as much the second time around, but I think that would be one that I'd like to talk about on here. And as well as that, I've, I've got back on the short film bandwagon. Um, we've got, a, I, I'm still in uni at the minute, I'm doing a master's. So we've got a film festival that just opened today, which is Friday. I th- is it Friday? I think it is, yeah, if you're listening. And um, yeah, it's really good. And I'm, I'm hosting a Q&A on Monday and I'm already terrified, absolutely terrified of hosting a Q&A with all these filmmakers and their films and an audience and my uni lecturers. And it's going to be fun. <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. That's, that sounds really fun. And you'll obviously smash it. Like, um, I really challenge you to say, oh, I was discussing on my podcast last week, the first eight film club, you can find it at a lot of good podcast mm, networks. I and I just slip I it in there and then they're like, what? Sorry, what? Um, <laughs> well, that sounds like a busy week. And I think we've all had a busy week, but for, mm-hmm. for, for different reasons. Um, I this segueing on smoothly to the film that we are discussing this week, which is, as I said before, Palm Springs. Um, it was released last Friday on Amazon Prime after kind of quite a long and arduous um, I suppose post-release but pre-streaming release uh, situation. Mm. It was it, it took a while for us to realise in in the UK how like who was going to be streaming it or how we were going to be able to watch it. Um, but it was uh, actually picked up by Prime, so that was released last Friday, and I watched it on Friday. I've been really really excited to uh, watch it for, for quite a few months. I watched it last Friday. I watched it this morning again, um, and I'm just really really excited to cover this film. So I think let's just Let's just dive straight into it, I think. Um, so just a few of the details. Uh, Palm Springs, as I said, was released actually uh, last year in January uh, at the Sundance Film Festival, uh, where, as I mentioned, it was picked up by Neon for theatrical distribution for a, a short release and then Hulu across in America. 
Um, it stars Andy Samberg as Niles, uh, Kristen Milioti, is it Milioti? Milioti as Sarah and uh, J.K. Simmons in a small role as a character called Roy. Um, the budget was five million, uh, so not not a big budget at all, really. And um, as I said, it only got a limited release at the cinemas uh, and made seven hundred sixty-five thousand dollars, or just mm. over. So it it didn't it didn't. Um, break its budget at the cinema, but I don't think that's too much of a surprise, really. Um, what I want to do is just give a little bit of the plot. Um, it's it's quite, it's quite an interesting plot. Um, it revolves around Niles, kind of a guy who's stuck in a bit of a rut, um, literally and figuratively. And uh, one day he discovers a cave while he's at a wedding in Palm Springs that has a bit of a passage that le- leads to a time vortex keeps him repeating the same day over and over again. Uh, Things change, however, when Sarah follows him into the vortex and stays trapped in the same day with him for what seems to be forever. I, um, that's obviously a a little summary, so it is, you know, kind of semi-groundhog day Mm -hmm. Um, I really think the summary doesn't do justice to the film, just in the similar way that when I heard the uh, premise to About Time being a, a romantic comedy <laughs> about time travel, I thought to myself, I'm never going to watch that film. Uh, but that did turn out to be one of my favourite film ever. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's the premise. And what I think is, this is, this is the first take for all of us, I think, isn't it? I think none, none yeah. of us had seen it before. Um, so what I'll do is um, I'll start with Liam and just kind of, let's get a few a few words on like what you, what you thought of the film and... Um, were you excited to drop on Prime? And I'll kind of just go through all of our first takes. But Liam, if you want to just give us a little little snippet of what you thought and um, how you felt before the film was released. Yeah, so I've been looking forward to watching this film for ages. It feels like every other has seen this film before us. We, we're really slow, right, on all these and all these uh, uh, films coming out, right? All the, all the films that have been at the award seasons. Mm-hmm. Um they're really like some of them are actually there's one that's coming out after the oscars which for me is like well, what's the point then yeah but i think like a couple of days after the oscars one one of the th- films that it's like it might be nomadland or or, or maybe I think it is i think i was trying to think which one it is and i think it is nomadland yeah. yeah um but yeah this film man it's great it's great fun isn't it i think that's kind of what we need right now a bit of escapism a bit of fun you know a bit of it's 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 comical it is funny andy sandberg i think you know, I, I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, but that's kind of, you know, his show. He's kind of heavily involved in that, and he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy, and some of his, uh, some of my favorite like Saturday Night Live skits like involve him as well. Like back in the day when he was on that, he's he, he's great, and I think he really brings this film, you know, to life. I think him and uh, Kristin Milioti as well. She's great. I think she's got. A, like real I didn't I didn't think she was going to be like that good in mm-hmm. this film but she's brilliant like she is the best thing about this film in my opinion I think she's so so good um but yeah overall I just absolutely loved this film it was yeah so like great mm-hmm. it is exactly I'll say it again it is like the the film we need right now I genuinely genuinely believe that yeah. Amazing. Amazing. What what a glowing recommendation. I feel like if you still listen to the podcast after that and not watching yeah. Palm Springs, then <laughs> stick with us for 45 minutes, but then go and watch it afterwards. Um I'll I, I won't I'll give my first take after Connors um for the reasons that um 
you know, I think, like as as Liam said, I was excited for the film, and I, and I actually don't know how Connor how you felt about <laughs> it before before it, like you watched it. I think um, yeah, we've re, we've yeah we've quite quite often discussed just your you know the differences in all of our like approaches to films and what we like to see in films, and this um, well, let's say especially because of the synopsis, but yeah. this film obviously maybe. What maybe wasn't up your up your street? Um, but you want to just kind of maybe maybe start off, yeah, with like what you thought kind of before you watched the film. So let's say we've just suggested this film for the podcast, mm-hmm. and what are you thinking? And then did anything change having watched the film? And what did you think about it? When the message came in the group chat, being like, "Oh, we should do this," I completely forgot. Signed of Metal was coming out like two days later. And after it came out, or after I saw that it came out, I was like, why are we not doing Sound of Metal? And I'd already seen it anyway, and I ended up rewatching it this week as well. But when I watched um, Palm Springs this morning, just before we hopped on, I was like, this is actually really good. And I watched it with my three coffees and two magnums, not all at the same time, but you know what I mean? And I just had a really sick little time, just on my own in the morning, just hanging out with this movie. And I didn't think I was going to enjoy it as much as I did. I'm kind of critical. There's a lot of it that I think is a bit like, eh. But then it's not. It's not gonna. It's not like a big Oscar bait film, is it? It's not trying to win all these awards or anything. I guess ultimately, I was kind of surprised, and I was continually surprised throughout, which I think we'll come on to in a bit with when we talk about the plot and stuff, because time travel movies are all kind of the same. You know what I mean? Whether it's um, no harm to you guys, whether it's. Um, Avengers Endgame or it's about time or it's fucking Groundhog Day you kind of Hot know what machine. I was going to mention that later <laughs> on and I'm glad it's up now because you know what it's so much better than Hot Tub Time Machine <laughs> ultimately as long as it wasn't as bad as Hot Tub Time Machine they're doing all right and he did a lot better than that for me I think one of the main issues that this film uh, was always going to have is the comparisons to Groundhog Day which is it's the best film right of its kind of elk of that whole repetitive trapped in the same time loop kind of thing it is it is a bit of a niche genre right but as soon as you're going to step into that like palm strings do you you do compare it quite heavily to groundhog day and I think it holds up pretty well compared to groundhog day fully and i also think and i hope we'll hopefully we'll talk about in a second but that it continually subverts and does things that you're not expecting. And that keeps you interested. And even if little bits don't fully, you don't love, you keep going along with it because you know something cool is going to happen in the next five minutes or 10 minutes. And that's why I, surprisingly, I, I really liked it. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I am. Um, a friend of the show, Rory Greenfield, had, had mentioned this film a little while ago. Mm. Um, he, I think he'd seen it. I think a few months ago, and, and he'd, he'd actually every now and again he'd, he'd, he'd drop me a DM on Twitter and says like you need to be watching this movie. Have you or, seen this yet? <laughs> yeah, or here yeah. the three movies that I think you need to watch. Which one of them he, he did mention was Love and Love versus Was it Love versus Monsters or Love and Monsters or something on Netflix that's just come out that I haven't mm-hmm. watched yet. But this I remember kind of like about November time. He said like you need to get on Palm Springs, you'll love it. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, like, yeah, it looks great. Andy Samberg, great. Visually, the poster's cool, very bright, very summery, looks great. Um, yeah, I'll wait for it. And I kind of have forgot all about it. Um, so when it came out last week, I was like, oh, shit, a film that 
do really want to like I'll, I'll get on it like I, I watched it like the morning it came out type thing mm-hmm. um so I was I was pumped on it I was excited for it especially because I think like Rory's got quite a good taste in movies um, and he, he's, he's a big movie guy mm-hmm. um and I just thought this film was so good it, it was it was it was funny like Liam said it was surprising like you mentioned Connor and I think it was it was deep without needing to be too too deep I suppose not dissimilar in a way that like all the themes came to the fore quite easily. You didn't have to think about them that much. Um, themes of, you know, we'll go into it later, but like loss of meaning of life, all these different mm-hmm. things that you can like quite easily relate to like a, a movie that just does the same day over and over again. Um, but I don't think you have to think about it too much, which is kind of what I wanted really. Um, so yeah, I loved it. And I like, I, you know, I love Sandberg. I think, I think he's um, like, like you, Liam, I love, Brooklyn Nine-Nine like it's it's the one show that I'll just go to if I'm just having like a really shit day and I just no longer be having a shit day anymore or if I am I'll feel a bit better about it like I just absolutely love it and um and we will touch on his performance later and maybe like a bit about his career in general um but I think I think he makes the movie because I actually think there's it's quite great like some of his performances in the film are quite grounded as well as quite funny um, so yeah, I was pumped on it. I, I loved it, and, and I say I watched it again this morning, which actually made it a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I did have a few of the feelings that maybe you said earlier, Connor, about yeah, like there's good bits, but there's also kind of bits that aren't maybe aren't so good um, that I felt on first watch, definitely. But um, we'll t- we we can touch on that a, li- a little bit later um, because what I want to go to first is so we like talk about I suppose the introduction of the movie. So it's quite I think. When you first watch the film, you first turn it on. It's I think the, literally the first scene is like a is a goat, and it's there's a bit of an earthquake going on. And, and you know, I think if a comedy film, the first thing mm. you see is a goat is a little bit weird and confusing. Um, but then you kind of move into the Palm Springs element, and like you're talking about, you know, there's the wedding, and there's the conversations between a few of the characters. But it is I, I do think there's a few weird elements and a few weird lines and. Uh, a lot of that is like a little bit off center. How did um, I suppose leaning into the beginning of the film, Liam? What did you, what did you think about it? Because I, I didn't, for the first third, for example, I didn't massively dig it. Really, I did. I thought like, I'm glad this is an hour and a half. Because to be honest with you, this first let's say 25 minutes, I wasn't massively into. Did you feel? Did you feel similar? And I think for me, for example, it was the weirdness. Did you feel similar, Liam? Uh, no, actually, no. I, I kind of it took me no longer than two seconds to kind of figure out what was, re- what was going on, that it was uh, Niles that's stuck, that's been stuck for, for however oh, yeah. long, yeah. Uh, you know, like that became apparent pretty quickly. Uh, maybe literally like as soon as he's having sex with his girlfriend and, you know, he can't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, and he just look, has this real like mundane looking on, on his face. And it's like, okay, I feel like you've been here before. Um, and I think pretty quickly you're then introduced to, uh, what's her name? <laughs> you know, Sarah. 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 Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you are quickly introduced to Sarah as well. And then, you know, literally first 10 minutes, they have their first encounter. And then, and then we're introduced to Roy pretty quickly as well. Um, and it's all, it, you, you think it's going to kind of take a weird turn it does in a way, but not all the way I thought it was going. So I thought it was going to end up being really 
batshit crazy out there, some like weird assassin element to this whole thing. But it just turns out Roy is some guy that shows up every few days to try and kill Niles because uh, he happened to drag him into this time loop as well. But luckily for, for Niles, Roy lives a little bit further out and uh, travel to the wedding rather than staying at the wedding, luckily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is It is a weird one, though, isn't it? It is. I think it is interesting. And I think it is ballsy the way they kind of throw you right into it. You know, I think it's hard not to reference Groundhog Day. Like, I, I know I already, I've already mentioned it, but even with that, you have, I don't know, I guess 20 minutes tw uh, to half an hour to even introduce the Groundhog Day element. Um, whereas this, I think because, you know, they, they, they know we're not stupid, you know, they know that they can throw us right into it and we can almost understand what's going on that, you know, they've said, this is a time loop movie. We knew that before watching it. So I don't think there needs to be much explanation. Um, what is interesting and what I don't think has been done before is, you know, obviously in the final third, there is some form of explanation as to what is going on. I think that aspect of it is something that doesn't actually work for me in this film. Uh, I don't know if it's how they try to execute it. I don't think it quite worked for me. Uh, mm. I'm sure we'll chat about that a little later, but um, overall though, you know, the, the, especially the start of the film, it did hook me in. Yeah. Um, and there were some good laughs, like some good laughs in there. Some good laughs. I honestly, I'm, I agree with you. 100% there because the only bit where I was kind of it wasn't like a big eye roll moment or anything was the the kind of explanation of how Sarah figures out the loop that they're in and how to get out of it and only when you mentioned that I figured out in the first two seconds what was going on did I realize the start is the start is the end do you know what I mean mm. like the goat being the goat that goes through what a fucking stupid thing to not realize Connor you idiot anyway. I, didn't re I didn't realize it until you well, just said it when you look back at the, well, you, you might just see the, the audio of this, but if I was editing this, I'd have a little frame of our video call or whatever. And you'll literally see me go and, and put my hands on my head like, oh, you, oh, did you not figure this out? Is that what you uh, were doing then? Yeah, fully. <laughs> I, I was like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think first, first thing, like, well, first take, I guess, for me, and the first kind of opening 10 minutes or so, I really like the, how they frame it that way where um, Niles, Andy Sandberg's character, you already know that he's lived through this. And I took me a little bit longer than you, Liam, to figure out that it was going to be that way. But then once you're introduced to Sarah and how she gets through it, you kind of learn with her what's going on and how it all plays out. And because we've all kind of seen these, and we, we've all touched on it now, we've all seen kind of time travel movies already. We kind of know how the story's going to play out and then are they going to get out or not? Who knows? all that nonsense really you kind of know all that stuff anyway so because you're learning with her you kind of get to enjoy the fun with her as she enjoys the fun that's going on and having someone like Andy Sandberg as your kind of pseudo teacher as you learn all these things and kind of experience the rules and regulations for for this time paradox they're in is actually kind of fun and I normally am not the biggest Andy Sandberg guy I do really like Brooklyn Nine-Nine but I thought and if it's going to be a full film of him, I don't know if I'm going to love it as much. And the main standout for me was kind of not big credit to him because I think he's really good in this, but mainly um, for some 
Kristen Miliotti's character and her performance is genuinely really, really good. And that was the first thing that really hooked me was her introduction. I think, um, just quickly, I think what you've got to have in films like these, because you are living through the same day over and over again, are returning points that are memorable and funny enough that you can keep using them and you can do little yeah. different bits with them. So yeah. obviously, Niles wakes up every morning with his girlfriend who he knows is cheating on her. Um, and it's like, it, and she, her name's Misty and she's just, she's just, she's a bit of a- she's a stereotype, she, it's a full stereotype. Like a, yeah, yeah, like a stereotypical blonde bimbo, as it were, like that they, you know, they, they're quite, you know, they don't beat about, about, they don't beat around the bush with that. Um, and then obviously you've got the scene where uh, Misty is cheating on him and that's just funny in itself. That and then later funny. on they revisit it and yeah. throw a guy in there blindfolded. And it's like, it's just little, little bits like that. I think are, it's kind of like where the writing is really good and really clever because you do need to make them points funny and funny enough that you can, you know, go back to them, I don't know, 10 times within one film and it's still funny and you can do different things to that little moment. And I think that is kind of what's great about this film. Um, but they, it, another thing that, you know, moving away from the comical side of it, what they do with uh, Sarah is have her wake up every day uh, in a place where she really doesn't want to be because mm -hmm. you know she's done something kind of unforgivable in that she's slept with her sister's fiance the night before their wedding. Mm -hmm. And that is another thing about like, you know, trying to forgive yourself and, you know, how can you live with yourself even if you've done something so horrific, but that, yeah, that's another really interesting aspect of this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. And there's loads of like, I think you're absolutely right Liam, about like having these, you got these jump off points and then you re revisit them, but because you couldn't revisit them without the comedy because essentially you'd be going over old ground again. So I do think, and that's, I think what like the middle third especially does really, really well. Like I, when I say I didn't, dig the first there I just kind of I, I didn't quite under it was something I didn't expect the weirdness because it's the weirdness isn't just like the, the actual like visuals and the plot it's like it, the humour isn't quite I suppose Andy Sand you know it's not Brooklyn Nine-Nine it's not like, that big like some of you know some of the scenes more of the shouty scenes as opposed to like your traditional Andy Sambo but some of the humour is a little bit more subtle or a little bit more well just a bit different really than what I expected so I think that was just the first third was me getting to grips with it a little bit and almost thinking, like, I don't know what this is. But then, like, that just does all the legwork for the middle third, which is a lot of, like, a lot of the fun. It's like a lot of the two characters getting to know each other and probably falling in love with each other and doing these, you know, a lot of the montages where they are spending time together and they're doing daft things and they're discovering yeah. what they can do in this world with each other is where the where the, the, the film like really takes off for me. Um, and I just, you know, that's that's kind of when I started to love it. I think mm -hmm. what um, just going off was just said slightly earlier about kind of like, you know, we've had, you know, we've had time travel movies like a thousand times. We don't need another, you know, it's, I suppose it's not dissimilar to a lot of the, when you get reboots of films that we've had before, it's like, we don't need the original. In Batman, we don't need to know that Bruce Wayne's dad's died because we've seen it a million times. The director as and writers actually said, so I was just reading up a little bit about it. And they uh -huh. actually said, well, the, the, the um, 
what they didn't want to do is they wanted to move away from the Groundhog Day thing because he realised it had been done before. So starting with him already in this parad- time paradox, it's almost like starting like starting on a sequel of a film that doesn't exist. Yeah. So like you learn the, the rules through Sarah, like you mentioned, Connor, but you're already straight into the action. So the fun comes from when she moves into this vortex and starts discovering things. Um, and I think that was quite a cool way to do it because I, I am kind of sick of the same things over and over again, but at least if you give a little spin on them, it makes them just a little bit fresher. And I think that's what happened here, really. Um, Can I just so, jump in a yeah, sec there? Of course, you can, yeah, yeah. On top of that, you know how they, um, they mentioned that kind of you're almost making a sequel because everyone knows the kind of formula that's already been established. You're also kind of buying yourself extra time without having a longer runtime where the film, like the film works because it's a 90 minute fit any longer. And I would start to maybe zone out a little bit, maybe go on my phone a little bit, stuff like that. Because you know everything already, well, you kind of know the ins and outs of, of the time loop thing. You don't need to have a two hour film. And that way everyone can kind of enjoy it and everyone can squeeze it into their lives. And it's a lot more palatable and accessible for people. And I think that's another reason why it works. Yeah, they've they've bought themselves twenty minutes really, haven't they? With yeah. of not needing to of not needing to kind of introduce, because you know we get a little bit of explanation towards the end about the about the vortex, but generally the only explanation until what minute 70, 75 is there's a cave and there's a vortex and you just go through it and that's that. And I, in a weird way, like when it involves time travel, which literally doesn't exist. I don't need, I don't really need an explanation. So, well, yeah, it doesn't resist. Yeah, that's what we think. I, I feel like, yeah, I've done this before. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I think you just don't need an explanation. It's kind of like, yeah, we'll explain it a little bit later and bring it to the boil. But yeah, there's a cave and that's fine. And, and I, I just generally don't think you need much more. I think more writers need to put a little bit more faith in the viewer that yeah, we can totally. work out what's going on. I mean, one of the biggest examples and one of the it, it's quite risky as well is with the MCU and what they did with Spider-Man's introduction into the MCU because they have basically said right you the viewer know everything about his origin totally. so we are just gonna throw him into to the uh, Civil War Captain America Civil War for 10 minutes he can be in that for 10 minutes and that's it and then we'll have his, have him uh, in his own movie no origin just like straight in there yeah. you know and that worked totally we don't need another origin story i spoke yeah, a few weeks ago about uh that new captain the the new fantastic four um they spend three quarters <laughs> yeah. of the film three quarters of the film before they even put on their fantastic four suit to know how to use their powers that's shit no one wants that we understand you know how how kind of these typical tropes, you know, be it superhero or be it this, this time travel element, you know, we know how it works, you know, unless you're, I think even like children would understand. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. I just wish that this would happen more, you know? The yeah. big thing for me, sorry, just quickly, and then we can move on is that this doesn't happen. Like Luke already mentioned the, the Batman thing. Everyone knows the Batman parents thing, but to see it in like an original kind of almost indie quirky comedy, that isn't backed by a big director. That's cool. Because normally you see filmmakers like Chris Nolan or Paul Thomas Anderson, whose whole, whose whole thing is kind of just about the moment that they're in. David Fincher does the exact same thing. It's all about the moment that they're in and that's it. 
and anything outside of that can be inferred through dialogue or character exposition or whatever. Little film, I say little film, because that's really reductive, but I more mean smaller, lesser known filmmakers who are making films that are with a budget of $5 million should have the balls to do stuff like this. And it, when it works, it clearly works really well. And you have three people with three different tastes like us all enjoying a film that ultimately works really well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, moving on just from the, from well, maybe not moving on from it entirely, but this is something I was going to ask Liam, but he kind of summed it up a little bit earlier. So I'll actually throw it to Connor if that's okay. So as we kind of, because we, we both kind of felt, you know, as most films, I suppose, the first third was just laying the land and it was a bit of, yeah. a little bit unusual. What was the point? So you say you enjoyed it and I, and I actually thought that the middle and final third were banging. But at what point did you start to get into the film and I suppose start to like dig it a bit more? You know what? It kind of comes near the end of the first third of the film when the first kind of blip happens and, they, and, and um, Sarah wakes up. Actually, no, that doesn't, that's not how it works. Well, that is the bit that really got me. But first of all, you see from Niles's point of view, where he's kind of floating in the on the lilo in the pool, drinking a little beer, whatever he's drinking. And she flies out of the room and jumps in the pool and tries to be like, what, what the fuck is this? Why you did all this? Tell me what's going on. I was kind of like, oh, this is this is this is getting somewhere. Because obviously you don't see her go into the cave. It cuts off before that. And then you cut to her point of view, and the film keeps doing that. And I find that really fun because Normally with these films, I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Groundhog Day and other films or even TV shows like Russian Doll, which I really enjoy too. It's normally one person's point of view. It's not four, three or four people are in this time loop. About Time kind of does it with him and his dad, which is a film I fucking love, by the way. Um, but not normally. You don't normally see this. So you have Roy, Sarah and Niles all in this kind of same time loop. And that means that it already sets up all the fun stuff that's going to happen between those three or between X number of those three characters play, like essentially playing together and all the scenes that they are involved in. And I, I don't know, I think even on first watch, a big part of the humor for me was in the setup of the punchline or the setup of the scene that is acts as the punchline. And I really enjoyed that. Especially I'm like her performance, Chris, Kristen Malotti's performance as Sarah is, hilarious and I've seen her in a couple of things like I remember him in um, Black Mirror and Wolf of Wall Street and unfortunately in How I Met Your Mother which is not a good tv show whoa um, whoa 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 it's actually an exceptional tv show but the last series is awful okay. I think surely we can agree agree on that if you've watched it it's a great show but yeah. the the ending is awful. I have I have watched it on this is why unfortunately but anyway anyway it doesn't do it for me, but this really does. And she's incredible. And, and any scene that she's in was kind of when I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm hooked on this film. She's really good. She's really charismatic. I um, I was, we'll go, we will go on like themes in general a little bit later, but I think what you say, and it, it, I, I hadn't wrote this down in my notes, but I, I just did when you were speaking. What I really like about the fact that you get it from two perspectives is I think thematically you're, you know, the, the general idea of the film is that you just get them the same day over and over again and you're stuck in a bit of a rut and it's these ten, two people who are like different sides of the coin, the coin mm -hmm. I suppose. But when you have these two parallel storylines, it happens at the beginning. They're joined together and then they obviously in the final third, they have a bust up as, as is tradition in these type of films and then they go their separate ways only to find themselves again. You've got these two parallel storylines again where they deal with things all the way through the film completely differently. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Andy Samberg's character wallows in the situation that he's in. Whereas Sarah, in her parallel timeline, in the same story, learns. And like, you know, she literally, at the end of the film, she learns how to get out of it. She yeah. like learns how to get out of this messy, this messy situation she's in. And I feel like it just allows you to like, look at how two people can deal with the same situation in completely different ways whether that be in relationship terms or just like life terms so i think that's what that allows you to do if you actually have a lot of the film where they're together but the bits that are separate they're doing completely different things but they're in the same situation still and i just think that that is another thing when you realize it when you come to think about it that it's like it makes the film just slightly different from some other films yeah i think uh sarah uh her kind of motive to get out is interesting, isn't it? It's mainly fueled by, you know, the the waking up in in the bed of her her sister's fiance, which I think it's really interesting. Like I don't I didn't expect it at all. And on second watch, it, like it leads to it slightly where she wakes up and looks at the door and you hear a shower running, but then you don't actually see. And then later on, we kind of learn, and that's where you're like, oh shit! Of course, she's desperate to get out. So with that. And this is, again, when you go back a second time and, you know, I'm not sure how quickly you'd go back a second time, but obviously I watched it between weeks. There's the bit late earlier in the film where uh, Sandy Cohen, her dad, uh, says, like, oh, we were in your, went to your room, we couldn't find you, where were you? And, yeah. like, obviously I was like, oh, I wonder where she was, but I didn't think about it. Like, she just said, I'm going, I went for a hike. And then I just thought, well, well she, she didn't, but whatever. Um and obviously, that's when you get a little, you get a little, little nuggets of, of of what's to come in the film. And I think that's what you know, rewatching a film like this is is good for, really. Um, okay, so a, a little bit now on on the actual themes, I suppose. So I've kind of listed a few down that I thought, and I think they were a lot of them were pretty on the nose. In fact, I think some of them are even spelt out in the dialogue, which mm-hmm. it, for me isn't isn't ideal, but it is what it is, I suppose. Um, I thought. And I didn't think this was, it didn't affect it for me in any way, but I thought a lot of the themes were quite muddled. I thought there was quite a lot of things going on here that you could have took from it. Um, didn't dislike it. Like I said, I didn't dislike it. I just thought there was a few different elements. What did you, um, as the film went on, Liam, what did you take from it as things were happening and, and, and the reaction to how themes were developing? So I think they may have confused got, got themselves a little bit confused when they were trying to nail um niles's character there are a few different ways that he is perceived you know you get you kind of think at one point he's severely depressed suicidal in this uh this world he's kind of like a- almost like lifeless like his eyes you know the, the first time we see him you know his eyes he just he, his face is all you know he, he just doesn't want to be alive almost he says like kill me to his girlfriend like he just and then I don't know I guess I suppose in that sense maybe that was purposeful because then obviously he meets Sarah and then I don't know finds a new meaning of life in this weird world that he's living in um but and then he kind of I don't know I feel like they were trying to do a lot of a lot uh with this one character and I don't know. I think especially the final third where, um, you know, one minute he is so adamant on staying in the time loop. And then I think like he has a, a little chat with uh, 
he was he has a chat with some the woman in the oh, bar, yeah. is it? Oh yeah, he has, oh, he a, has chat a chat with Roy, and then later on he has a chat with the woman in the, the bar. chat with Dar- Roy, Darla. <laughs> yeah, Darla. Yeah, so he has a chat with Roy, which is nice because Roy, you know, he is is at his home with his wife and his kids, and the first time you meet Roy, he says some like horrible thing about marriage, and you you tell in that moment he probably is a bit unhappy in his marriage, but then you learn that he's probably become to love and and not take for granted, you know, his life with his wife and his kids. Um, it's funny. It is quite funny when, uh, you know, his son's there just watering dog shit. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was one of the bits that made me lull the most. Yeah. I didn't expect it. I know. And, and, and you wrote something, Luke, in the agenda for today about, you know, how J.K. Simmons is, you know, he's kind of a low-key... Hollywood MVP and it's it's totally right it's totally true I think like from his role as uh J. Jonah Jameson in in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films or you know uh playing Fletcher in Whiplash which he won the Oscar for deservedly so he's absolutely crazy crazy good in that um I think he always brings it he always brings it um what what I like about kind of what I was thinking of with that is like he he will you know he will turn up in a lot of films that you've watched. But like, say for example, I like that he'll do. He do, He's not always the the main the main character. You know, Juno. He's just Juno's dad. But like, he lights that film up with the way like he reacts to some of the things that happen to yeah. Juno. And in he's this got film, no he's got no ego, has he? Yeah, at, at, at all. And I just I, when I see him in films, like regardless of whether A, B, or C is the main character, if he's on the roster. I am always thinking, well, I kind of trust this movie then a bit in a way because I trust what he'd pick to be in. Um, yeah. yeah. Are you guys onto the thing on film Twitter at the minute? Like, he understood the assignment. Oh, God, yeah. That's yeah. him. I wanted to scream that out when you were saying that. I thought, I'm not <laughs> going to interrupt him. I'm going to wait for my moment. He does, though. He actually does. Like, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's a he's a character actor because everyone knows who he's not. He's not a that guy. You know what I mean? Everyone yeah. knows he's JK Simmons, but that's kind of why he's an MVP. Cause he's not really talked about a lot. But anytime he shows up, he kind of steals every scene that he's in almost like, um, there's, there's plenty of actors that do that. I'm not going to name other people, but I think that's a real quality of this film, especially because he's the other third person in the, yeah. the time. I think a, a, another similar uh, actor who is exactly that has almost to me, the exact same effect is Tony Collette. I think she is of the similar yeah, uh, type of type of actor that when she pops up in you know any sort of project, you know it's going to be good. Um, I just want to go back to what I was saying before about that kind of final third, and I think they were kind of so desperate, obviously, to have Niles eventually accept, you know, uh, that he didn't he didn't need to be in this place forever and to go and you know go with Sarah and try and get out of the time loop. But I don't think they justify it enough in the film. I think he's so adamant one minute and then the next minute he's not. Um, the same way that, I, that with Sarah and the whole learning to be uh, this... Less like, of a scumbag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, learning, yeah. But learning to be this genius, you know, and they do it in like a... They show you in a couple of minutes kind of a theory about what the the time loop is and how to get out of it. And she becomes a genius. And like that for me feels rushed. Not that I don't know. I, I think it has to be rushed because 
you need that kind of extended middle third to develop the characters more. And so the middle third for me is my favorite anyway, you know, when they, you know, go off and do their own things together, you know, when they go into the pub and do that choreographed dance and when they fly the plane and they crash land, like the middle third is, is the most fun and the most funny also. Um, but yeah, man, the, the final third does feel rushed mm-hmm. and it does feel like they had a kind of a way they wanted to go in mind, you know, for both characters. And I don't think for me, it just didn't quite land. And I, I, I don't know if maybe that was a time constraint. I don't know. Can I jump in a sec here Two just two seconds? I fully completely agree with you on this. And it's kind of contradictory the film is kind of contradictory because you almost need more time to figure out but you don't want nobody wants that you just accept it and move on and it's kind of like i felt differently about niles though where his i I didn't really care that he wasn't that developed because we when you see an actor you kind of know what they stand for and the role that they play unless they are a great character actor like someone like philip seymour hoffman or something no dis no disservice andy sandberg but he plays the kind of man-child, disheveled kind of needs to sort his life out and get to grips with things. But really, you know, deep down, he, he wants to do that, but he just he's too lazy or he doesn't care enough or whatever. He's scared of it. That was him in this film. And that's what you sign up for. And you know what? It works. So the only arc that he's going to have that is kind of, that's going to fulfill everyone's want is for him to to grow or to get out of the time loop and stop being comfortable and maybe start paying some bills or whatever and pick up his dog when he gets back, stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know? Yeah. And I kind of like that. And apparently they've teased like a sequel to it. And I don't want that. It doesn't need, it doesn't need that at all. It was such a, I would I don't want to call it a perfect film because it's far from perfect, but it's such a perfectly looped and wrapped story where everything comes full circle in the end. And I, I think, really enjoyed that of it. Yeah, I think I, I actually, Totally agree, and I'd love to see more films that are just left and don't, and you don't get sequels. But it's it's perfect for what it is, which is different from being perfect as a perfect film. Yeah, it's it's it, it's all in its own little situation perfectly. Um, so as I think, my take on some of the themes in general, and I, I want to move on from that quickly, but I think we should just talk about them, just in terms of like I think it's quite clear, isn't it? Like the feeling of loss it even says at one point. You know what? What did you say was lost? And Andy Samberg says everything or everyone, and um, kind of being stuck in the same situation. Probably, probably there's depression in there somewhere. I imagine, um, in like a big, like a metaphorical way. Um, and 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 when I say it's all modelled, I, I didn't mind that. And it, I think probably because it's a ninety-minute film and the way the way it's set out, I didn't mind that it was modelled. I just kind of couldn't grasp it that easily about like what you you're clearly trying to say something here. But I think you're taking a few avenues to say it, and I'm and I'm not. I can't grasp what it is. Like I can't. Mm-hmm. Not in an American Psycho way, where like you're left to grasp it yourself. I was but just like, about to bring this up. In yeah, like yeah. it's trying to say a lot of things, and I don't even think it quite quite knows what it's trying to say itself. Mm-hmm. I um, think the the American Psycho thing is really interesting because I thought of that too. Where American Psycho is 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 quite muddled, you could say, but it has three or four big themes that stick out. And in this, you could kind of read it in a lot of ways. I don't think it's a film that needs a lot of analysis and dissection or whatever, but you can see depression and you can see kind of regret and self-loathing and how all that can kind of spiral and cycle along with time being a constant loop and all that. So it does kind of work that way. And it, it definitely works, but also, like you said, look, it doesn't ever really nail one of them. 
what it does do is kind of just let you see these characters and they're clearly confused in that way so it kind of lets itself off that way and that's why it still works i guess maybe um i just want to touch on there are three things that kind of create this almost like lovely appealing atmosphere about this film and like one of them is the cinematography in that everything is quite bright and sunny um you know bright colors It, it makes you feel happy almost and another is is the music i think the soundtrack's mm-hmm. great it's really um, good and i think that is that again that that then adds to like the overall vibe of the film and i think like that vibe is like this lovely rewatchable film you know i think we probably could talk for hours right digging deep into you know what the nuances almost of of each character in this film you know and i think like especially like talking about Roy, uh, Sarah and Niles, I think we could go into them three and have like a real deep chat about yeah. what do you think Niles has been through, you know, every single day of, you know, we don't know how long he's been in there, thousands of years maybe, who knows? Literally, like yeah, he, he says at one point, he doesn't even, he can't remember what he did for a living, um, which is weird because then he remembers that he has a dog. So I'm like, I don't know, were you lying to her? I don't know. Um, I, yeah, but... The vibe. I, I I don't want to keep saying the vibe, man, but no, the the yeah, vibe is, I, is great. I think when you watch it, that it, it definitely is, and that's obviously. I'm glad you jumped there because obviously we mentioned that. I've mentioned that in your agenda a little bit, but I just think yeah, like what I compare it to is, and I think I'd probably I'd go to it amongst these two films that I go to for a particular reason. I I think the look. So when you say like the sunshine, the vibrant colors, the just general uplifting visual look of the film I actually compare I would compare to the likes of these are just two films forgetting Sarah Marshall and I love you man it's just like mm. it, you know even when the bits are quite like a little bit sadder or a little bit lower or you get that like final third like dip between friendships etc it's still bright and I think it's still got that vibe and it's not as openly funny as those films but in terms of visually like the poster's beautiful all the colours pop completely, and it, which isn't exactly the same as those two films that I mentioned. But I just think visually, the way it looks is reminding me of those those two movies. I think the uh, the daytime scenes are very similar in look to the Florida Project. Yeah, um, and I think really? that it, like in yeah, the, the day in in with the the kind of the clear blue sky and the mm. sun and the bright yeah, colours. Okay. Um, it's clearly not the same film. Like that's no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I just think in terms of look, you know, when in Florida, in uh, sorry, in Palm Springs with the daytime mm-hmm. scenes, I think they are quite similar. Um, there's one thing, right, that I picked up on, and I'm not sure if I am going crazy, right? I'm sure this is meant to be suggested that there are more people than we think in the time loop. Mm-hmm. And I thought this. I didn't they have. So there is the moment near the end where Sarah uh, smashes this, smashes out this plan to escape and they spend one final day at the wedding, you know, have a really lovely time before later on that night they go out and blow the thing up. Well, the old granny at the, at the wedding comes up to Sarah and she says like something like, I heard you're getting out, good for you, or something like that. Mm. And that, man, I, I just think, 
I think that's that's there for a reason. That's not just that's not just like some sort of coincidence that that she says that. I don't know. For me, I don't know if you guys picked up on anything like that in this. Well, movie. I noticed that, and they purposely linger on Sarah's reaction. So, yeah. like, it's cl- it's a, it's a definitely clear nod, but I don't think you're meant to figure out. I think it's meant to be one of those things that people like us go, "Hey, did you see the bit when?" And I think that's really cool because you could, once again, you could interpret it many ways if that's the kind of thing you want to do not really for me in this film but it does kind of lend itself to a bit more depth and nuance in the film and i think that's really impressive yeah i think so too because especially the fact that she is an old lady that you know maybe she wants to live this day probably one of the happiest days of her life yeah seeing her grandkids get married holy and not knowing all the consequences of all the nonsense that happened around it and like she and she's lived her life now so yeah you know, she can just have this time loop every day and she can go and speak to all her family and stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it was really sweet to me that moment. I, and for me, I think it definitely is meant to insinuate that there are other people in the time loop, um, which is really interesting. You know, I think it, it is it's pretty cool. I think that would make sense. Well, you actually fit the, the, the other scene that she's in, the parallel scene at the beginning. She mm-hmm. says, I've been to more weddings than you would know, which obviously in terms of age difference, it's just a throwaway line. And then Andy Sandberg says, well, I don't know about that. And then, yeah. but then later on, so there's obviously that line. So it's, and I think that would be, if there's bits like that, that would be where it is successfully ambiguous. Whereas with the themes, for example, I don't think it is successfully, like, there's just too much muddled a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But let, let's, in the next five, 10 minutes, let's draw draws to a close in that. But, um, we, I don't think we did spend too much time in the middle third, but what I would like to go on is, is there a particular scene that you either liked the best or if you can think of it, maybe you thought was just kind of funnier or a bit more lighthearted or you liked the most? Um, Connor, can I go to you? There's a bit that I don't like, but I, I kind of am impressed by it a little bit. And it's the campfire scene where... They have the kind of they have their kind of big heart to heart moment, and she asks him about what he did, and he's like, oh, "I can't remember." And like you touched on, Liam, uh, you don't really know if he's telling the truth or not. I don't know if he is. I don't want to know if he is. I don't. I don't really care about that. But and they allude to the fact that they've taken mushrooms and they're in the desert, and it's the first night they sleep together. But that happens later on, and there's a little moment where they kind of sidle up side by side, and they're holding hands. And you, they, you know, shot reverse shot, look off into the distance, and there's dinosaurs. And I watched it on my laptop, which is kind of blasphemous, but like it still looks amazing on a laptop. And I had to turn the brightness up to be like, what the fuck are they looking at? And then I saw that, and I was like, what? And then you see the end of the film, and that's something I haven't figured out either. Where the the final shot, sky pan up like all other films like this, and in the distance you see dinosaurs, but they're not moving this time. And I fuck knows what that means. I don't know if I liked it, but I found it kind of impressive. Yeah, um, I forgot to write this down, but I really wanted to speak about this dinosaur thing because is it just something they've put in there to be like, ah, we'll just fucking throw some dinosaurs in there and you can think whatever the fuck you want to think about it? Or are you meant to think that there is some weird, you know, uh, 
timey-wimey thing going on with this time loop that when they've blown up this thing, it's created some weird vortex into the past and everything's come together. Maybe that's something they want to do for, I think, Luke, you mentioned a sequel. Maybe that's something they want to do. That's why they kind of threw in this ambiguous little shot at the end, you know, with the dinosaurs still there, even though they've managed to get out of the loop. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's quite interesting, but I don't know if it was if it was needed. I um, think the first bit is the mushrooms. I think the first bit where the camp the campfire is the mushrooms for me. Um, and the first thing I thought was just I don't think it's to do I don't think it's plot to do with traveling in herds. I'd go with basically I, I, that's the only thing that I can think of. I don't think it's I don't think the dinosaurs are literally there in my opinion because um, I just don't, I don't think it necessarily fit with the film. But um, I think my favorite scene is actually the. Um, the bit with Roy when he's like he's come to terms with being with his family, and um, I just think That's it's really sweet because nice. it's actually quite it's really nice. It's actually quite funny, like you said before, where he's like, "Oh, so and so's over there watering dog shit, absolutely fucking mentally." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just little think Joey. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just like, um, and there's so there's just funny bits, but then there's also the bit where he says, "I'll never see my daughter walk down the aisle," and I never, you know, and you know, I thought I'd never forgive you for that or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that whole thing starts to wrap the film up a little bit, like towards the end. That's where you get it's probably about an hour and a bit in, isn't it? So um, I think that's my favourite scene. And I don't think many of the scenes are openly hilariously funny, but a lot of them just like make you smile. Or like you said, with the dance-off scene um, in the middle third, where they walk into the bar and they're just being daft, aren't they? And they're just doing a bit of a dance-off. I think what I really liked is when they go to the wedding and he says, oh, there's a bomb in the wedding cake. And I like that. Over the wedding cake and fly, you know, fires it off to the distance and then she comes in. And it's just like, that's the bit where it's like, there's all this, you can look into, like you say, I'm not that fussed about the themes in general, but there's the bits that are just like, let's have fun with this mad time travel thing because there are yeah. no consequences, essentially. Um, I was good. Go, go, on, go on, name. Sorry. I was going to say, I think that that redemption scene for Roy, almost, when he's... Uh, when Niles goes to see him with his family. I think that scene is important because for me, one of the most impactful moments in the entire film is that little post credits bit where Roy decides to come to the wedding, you know, and he says, oh, he goes up to Niles and says, oh, Sarah's just, you know, sent me this crazy plan. And Niles doesn't recognize him. And then he just has this like beautiful smile on his face, like, God damn, you know, so now he, I essentially, you know, essentially he now knows what it takes to get out of the loop. And that's beautiful because now he can see his daughter mm. walk uh, yeah. down the aisle. You know, I think that was quite a beautifully well-made and well-written little piece that they've just thrown in there just after the, the credits started rolling. Um, for me, my favourite, I, I wouldn't say it's my favourite. I'm not going to, uh, but there was one funny kind of little tidbit that I did enjoy and it's the, the kind of the moment where Niles is chatting to to Sarah about everyone he's he's banged uh, while he's been stuck in the time loop. That is funny. <laughs> and it goes into a little montage of everyone he slept with, and it's the the strange bar woman who you know is quite angsty, but does something to him in the car that uh, wow, well, I don't know mm-hmm. what he did, what she did, and then <laughs> and then he also has. Uh, it gets penetrated by Jerry, which is mm-hmm. 
that's quite funny. It's um, the, the Marla thing for me, or Darla, whatever yeah, it is the da- for me. Da- that's the one where I was like, this guy, come on, man. And then and then they even uh, tease that little thing where he's like, oh, and your dad. And then it cuts to like, <laughs> it cuts to the scene where Niles and Howard are like mm-hmm. getting right up close. And he's like, ah, just kidding. Uh, like, I had you there. That was funny. I did like that. That. Yeah. that was quite funny. And he even, you know, tried it on with the with the bride, which... I mean, I think to even try and to something like this, I think it does. You can you can practically do anything with it. I mean, he's had possibly thousands, hundreds of thousands of days, oh, you yeah. know. So, you know, he probably could have tried anything. You know, all the drug. You know, he does all those drugs with Roy when they first. That that's quite funny, isn't it? When they they get high and then he takes Roy into the cave. Yeah, I think. That that element is interesting, but yeah, that that little scene for me is uh, it's not my favourite. I just think it's quite funny. Yeah, great. That's a good place to begin to sign it off. Um, I was going to give a bit of like a put an agenda a bit about Andy Samberg in general, but I think we all I want to we can rush over that. Really, all I want to kind of say is that like it's this isn't I don't think a typical Andy Samberg role. Really, I think it's got a little bit more to it than like kind of like just a goofy comedy for example um but i'm really glad that he's in something that's slightly different like a low budget film that you know i imagine he wouldn't have to do because he could probably do what he wanted um and his relationship with um millia how do you say her name millia milioti yeah yeah milioti i think their relationship is really good in the film um and i just kind of hope that along with a lot of you know He's in a film with Adam Sandler, for God's sakes. But a lot, a lot, a lot, with a lot of the daft films that he does, I, I quite like him to continue to do things with a little bit more ground and a bit, a lot more low key. Um, but yeah, I think um, we also had. I think well, let's just touch on this slightly, and we'll just spend five minutes on it because I think it's quite an interesting thing. So something I put just at the end of the agenda is it is you know, this movie is is low budget. It was made for five million, which really you know. This, this film's been made for 150 million, so it really is quite low budget. Um, and it's picked up for picked up by Hulu for 22 million. I think it was after add-ons, is what probably Wikipedia told me. Um, this even this that is still a snip really in streaming terms. Like you know, I think Netflix do a lot of you know they, they put a lot of money into films. Kind of it's over 100 million per project, if not more. Um, and I just kind of thought when I was reading into the film, I think that's quite a that's what I'd really like streaming services to do a little bit more of, where they are fun, you know. The Knives Out thing annoyed me a little bit because I wanted to see that at cinema. But Same. I don't think, I don't think cinemas, I don't, well, I don't, sorry, I don't think traditional kind of big production companies would have given this film the time of day. And it's because it's quite high, in my opinion anyway, it's quite high concept. And I think if, if the traditional companies aren't going to do that, there is definitely a space for the likes of Netflix and for the likes of Amazon Prime and Hulu to pick these type of films up, which just, you know, not getting made because people probably wouldn't see them in the cinema, but people probably would sit down and watch them. And I just kind of wanted to just spend a few minutes on kind of what, I suppose, what you thought about that whole situation with streaming is. Like, do you think there's a place for them to back filmmakers at a fraction of what they usually would, but let them do kind of what they wanted. I guess you kind of... That's a big, that's a big, big boy. Because there is a difference between streamers 
funding a film and funding the distribution and funding the social mm-hmm. media campaigns and all that mm. like films like um you, like you've even seen people like martin scorsese recently and noah baumbach they've all signed these deals to make films with netflix that's okay that's cool but when you see films like this that have been acquired at festivals that's when it gets a bit more complicated for me anyway because it's a it's a messy messy topic but i kind of gave a presentation on on sundance the, the film festival sundance which is where this was bought at, and it set the record for the most expensive purchase ever made by a streamer i think initially they they paid 17 and a half million for it amazon and then hulu bought the distribution rights as well and that, that means they had to pay more and it ended up being 22 i think you mentioned luke yeah that's when it gets messy because Sometimes not a lot of um, streamers are able to kind of back up what they say they're going to deliver and say they'll give full autonomy to filmmakers. And other times you've heard with, um, I think you've even big studios do this as well now, where they kind of, they come in and, how do I word this? They say, oh yeah, okay, we'll distribute this for you, but you're going to do your, our next film is going to be, or your next film is going to be with us and stuff like that. And that's when it gets a bit, is that independent? Is that sound anymore? Probably not. And it's probably not ethical, but that's kind of how the business goes at the minute. And ultimately, if filmmakers are able to make what they want to make and everyone's going to be able to see it where it should be seen, whether that's cinemas or at home, or there's a choice for both, it's good. It's a good thing ultimately. But if it means more films like this are going to be seen by people, you can't really argue with it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Liam, any thoughts? I think for films like this, it works. So this film, you know, was was never going to break box office records. It was never going to win Oscars. But it, it's been seen now by millions of people because Hulu and uh, Amazon Prime have made that possible, which is good. What I don't like is the Scorsese's and the Bournebacks and the, you know, potentially Spielberg, you know, go into these streaming sites and, you know, Scorsese's just done a film with Netflix and his next film is going to be with Apple. Apple's quite a new service. I don't think they're very good at promoting their films right now. Um, I don't think as well, you know, are they going to put it in cinemas first? Who knows? They haven't done that yet with any of their other films. Um, Netflix may be a little different. Uh, Some of their films do have a limited cinema release, but even then it's quite hard. You know, me and Connor went to go and see Uncut Gems, but, you know, there was barely any showings. We had to go. There was only one cinema in Liverpool showing it. Um, you know, it was hard to see. And mm-hmm. it was one of the best cinema experiences, you know, me and Connor have had in a while. I know for sure, like sitting Ever, next yeah. to him re- reacting to that film was hilarious. And you just wouldn't get that if we watched it, you know, in, in our old flat, you know, we wouldn't have got that experience. That's really true. Um, also, another thing, I don't think Amazon Prime are very good at um, promoting their films. I don't think Amazon Prime is a very good format anyway at accessing films. Um, Netflix, the, the format of Netflix is good. But for example, when one of their big films comes out and you go onto their homepage, it's not always there. Mm-hmm. You have to search for it. There are, you know, like The Irishman, the first day it came out, wasn't being uh mm-hmm. advertise on it the took homepage. like a week to be the big thing didn't it yeah yeah me. yeah so because netflix has become this thing where you know the number one thing 
well, that's going to be the number one thing that's promoted. And that tends to be like some stupid don't fuck with cats or something like that that Netflix is showing, you know, or that other uh, elevator murder one. What's that called, Connor? Oh, yeah. That, you know, that was shit. Um, like that. <laughs> I, couldn't, I wanted to say the name. And I was like, you know what? Nah, I'm not into that. I didn't like that. Yeah. But that's kind of what people on Netflix will go for. Or like they'll put on, you know, Netflix will, I don't know, require the rights to Big Daddy for a few weeks. So then that's now number one. Not like one of their like art house films that they've just took from one of the festivals. Like, I don't know it. I would much rather everything be in the cinema and we could go there and watch the films in the cinema and then they'd be released on DVD and mm-hmm. streaming afterwards. I don't know. Just... I think, yeah, I think, um, and this, this is actually aimed at me as well, but I was, I was good. It was more of a response to what you said, Liam, and also me knowing what you like. It, it, it's our own fault though, mate, because people don't turn out for these films anymore at cinemas. It's just it's just a fact. They turn out to see Iron Man 4, Iron Man 5, Iron Man 6, uh, Star Wars fucking 7, stop. You know what I mean? Like, they, they just, there's no room in the cinema for these films. And the thing is, really, and I don't mind, I, I, I'm happy for like something like this that you kind of don't need to see on a big screen. You know, I'm happy to see it at home, really, to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. I think the, the problem is that, yeah, this film was made for five million, so maybe it probably would have made its money back, really, worldwide. But people aren't going to cinema for that anymore. So it's either they get made with the help of streaming services or get made and bought by streaming services so that money goes back into the industry or at least to the mm-hmm. filmmakers or whoever it might be. Or they don't get made at all because people just don't see it anymore. They used to be... In the nineties and early early noughties, you'd get you know anything would get made, and then you get good things out of that, and you get bad things out of that. But then the risk was higher or lower. Or, or, but because of Disney and because of these big, because of franchises and because of Fast and the Furious Nine, like people aren't turning out for these films at cinemas anymore, and that's just a fact. I think as well with the pandemic, everything's been pushed back so much. So now that when cinemas reopen next month there's going to be no room for the likes of Palm Springs because it's going to be two or three blockbusters a month. Um, That's not, you know, that's not the cinema's fault at the end of the day. That's, you know, they're going to have to, they've lost so much money. They're going to have to put on the blockbusters. They just are. It's going to make their money. You know, people are going to come in and buy popcorn to go and watch Black Widow or Fast and Furious 9. They're not, you know, it's just, that's just the way it works. If it was a normal year, you know, if the world was normal, there would be slightly more room for these types of films. But, you know, the next couple of years, it's stacked full of mm. blockbusters every month now for the next two years. Yeah. Because there were films that were made that haven't come out and there are films that were being made during the pandemic that are now ready to come out. You know, and there are films about to finish production that are going to come out. You know, it's so stacked now that, yeah, the yeah, films like Palm Springs is just not going to be room for for the next couple of years, at least, I, I, I believe. The main thing uh, to close this off for me is that there's a difference between where, like, where you want to, you know, what? Look, you kind of touched on this where you said it was your, it was you guys, it was your fault. That's very, that's an extreme way, but I completely <laughs> see that. No, I completely see that because if you're going to the cinema, you're going to see the big, the big shit. All the, it's only going to be big stuff that's going to happen now. And there was a thing that came out that he got so much shit for. Scorsese came out and talked about the whole. Um, content versus film thing and Netflix being a content heavy site where films are distributed, but they're buried under um, algorithms. And then you have actual kind of 
what's the term, cultivation sites like Mubi or Canopy, places like that, where that's where that's where you go to watch movies, not just to watch the lit stuff. And that kind of dichotomy is going to be something that's going to only be extrapolated because of COVID and cinemas being having to reopen and just show good stuff. So the main thing is, if you want to see films like this that aren't just the big ones that I've you know been picked up at Sundance to star Andy Samberg, there are other places like Mubi and Canopy that you can see stuff like that. And that and I think of... in terms of physical places to go, you know, in Liverpool, you want to go watch Black Widow, you'll go to Odeon, but you know, you want to go and watch, I don't know, uh, whatever. Next. Let's say Nomadland when it comes out. Yeah, I, no... I'm not going to watch that on Odeon. I'm going to yeah. watch it in fact. Yeah, fact or um, the other yeah, one, man. every man. Yeah, you know there are the other man, the the other man. <laughs> you know, so on streamings there are you know the movies, there are the BFI players. You know, yeah, exactly. But then we do we do to be fair, we do have the cinemas that will show these films. And I suppose maybe we're a little bit unlucky in Liverpool that we don't, you know, there may be not be enough funding to show as many as we like. You go all the way to London and. You know, there are cinemas dedicated to showing films like Nomadland yeah. as opposed to the blockbusters, which is great. Um, there just isn't the, the uh, there just isn't the market for it everywhere. You know, you know, I go back home and my closest cinema is half an hour away and it's well, an Odeon. So it's what like... everyone has to do, I think, is to look out for films like Palm Springs, because if someone like I touched on earlier, there's three of us with all different film tastes that love this movie. That should say enough, really. And if it's on somewhere like Amazon, where everyone and their fucking mum has an Amazon account, check it out. It was worth yeah. watching. Mm. Yeah, great. I think oh, I was going to try and jump in there when, when, when uh, Liam mentioned popcorns before, just as like a really smooth oh, segue. What but um, but um, I, I've just made Speaking a Speaking of popcorns. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of popcorns. Um, so let's go with... Um, uh, Connor, what's your popcorns for this, my friend? Uh, I'd give it a solid... 70 popcorns it's yeah. really good it's not a great movie but it's a really fun time there you go don't Amazing. make another one please <laughs> yeah but absolutely I, i'd say that about most films actually um liam yourself for enjoyability and rewatchability alone you know before we dissected this film uh 80 80 popcorns for me and i'm gonna stick with that you know mm -hmm. despite the slight plot holes yeah nice that's cool i'll go with 79 I was on 81 initially, but uh, I've just brought it down a little bit. Um, but yeah, good film. Check it out. It's on Amazon Prime, I've mentioned a few times. Um, and just, yeah, tell your friends to watch it because it's cool. Um, next week, uh, I think I've touched on everything. Yeah, next week we'll have a guest. I don't know who that guest is, so we can't even tell you what film we're doing, but we special will have guest. a guest. We'll mystery have a special guest. guest. It's a mystery <laughs> guest. It's even a mystery to us. Um, but they'll have a film that they've never seen before. So we'll be getting them on to talk a little bit. Hopefully it's Avengers Endgame. Hopefully it is something <laughs> other than Avengers Endgame. See, this, <laughs> this is why, this is why uh, Palm Springs happen? never made it to the cinema. Um, <laughs> so we'll have a guest on who it is. Uh, in that time, uh, follow us on our socials, please. That'd be really helpful. That's uh, first take part on Twitter. And Instagram, uh, we you know we do quite a lot on there now. Um, we've got into the habit, I feel, of just communicating and doing things when we're watching the football between the three of us. So um, go on them, uh, give us a five star review on whatever podcast platform you use. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And until we speak to you next time, have a nice week and stay safe.